With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the program. We're good, to, we're good to go here for another hour of Around the House. Glad you're with us. Let's begin and talk about woodpeckers for a little bit here. I, I promised um, uh, Jim sent me an email this week. We recently had our house repaired due to woodpecker damage. The handyman we used put up a string with glittering silver tape on it, and unfortunately it blew down. What do you recommend uh, we use in place of the silver tape to keep them pecking on the house? Uh, the handyman will be coming back on the 15th. Well, uh, Jim, I, uh, any of those deterrents that people have used don't seem to work really well. The tin foil, the silver pie plates, CDs hanging on strings, you know, music CDs hanging on strings, scarecrow type things like fake owls and so on, just don't seem to work very well. They might work at first for a little bit, but... The birds are, you know, they're reasonably intelligent. They just figure out after a while there's, there's no threat there, and so they simply uh, ignore them after a while. So they're not much of a deterrent for very long. Birdhouses seem to work pretty well. I got an email from a listener uh, also named uh, Jim uh, uh, about, um, let's see, did I have the right email? Yeah, about mounting birdhouses over the holes. That was, that was an interesting way to tackle this. Um, they, he mounts birdhouses over the, each of the holes that woodpeckers make, little songbird houses uh, that uh, little sparrows and other small songbirds move into. Uh, it tends to discourage uh, the uh, woodpecker banging on the house. Uh, and also an adjunct to that is to put a woodpecker nesting house uh, in your eaves if you're in a part of the, of the neighborhood or the city that has a lot of trees and Perhaps you uh, you just have a lot of birds around there and they're nesting here and there. If you put a woodpecker uh, nesting house high up in the eaves, uh, it tends to uh, kind of settle down. Whatever the, whoever this guy is that's banging on your house, uh, it starts raising a family and breeds and so on. And generally speaking, the, uh, the activity uh, slows down a lot. And I've had a lot of good feedback from people that do that. So that would be my recommendation. You can go to the Wild Birds Unlimited store. You can go down the, online and uh, to find plans to build them yourself, to build a woodpecker nesting house yourself. Or, of course, uh, you can always uh, buy prefabricated uh, nesting houses, nesting boxes uh, online. So there you go. I think that's the way to accommodate them. You simply uh, let them move in and take up residence at your house. They tend to peck less because there's less reason to be territorial. Their territory is now your house. But I love the idea of putting little birdhouses over the woodpecker holes. You can also spray repellents uh, like our repels all from our bonide folks would work. A red pepper spray sometimes works. If you spray it around the holes of you immediately, 
uh, tape over the hole and spray deterrent or repellent around it. That can kind of help at least temporarily. Uh, the problem is how do you patch the hole? And that can be kind of difficult because you have to cut out a circle and replace the siding uh, that the woodpecker ate away at unless you can, can figure out a way to put a trim board over it. So it's kind of a it's kind of a hassle to repair these holes, especially if it's on a stucco house. Many times, particularly that EIFS stucco that has a hollow sound behind it, woodpeckers love to bang on that, and sometimes they punch a hole, and that's kind of hard to to patch also. So there's some thoughts on woodpeckers. This is from Bill. I have a place up on Winter Park. As you know, the air is very thin and dry up there. I wonder if I could use my dryer exhaust with the air exhaust hose screen with very fine material uh, to add moisture to the air, your thoughts are appreciated. Well, Bill, nice try. I mean, it's a good theory anyway to get extra moisture in your house. The problem is, or two problems really, that that moisture will circle around and get back in the dryer so it'll take that much longer to dry your clothes because we need to really discharge the output from a clothes dryer into what's called in thermodynamics an infinite space, which is in our case the great outdoors, which provides the... The, the most efficient way to get rid of the heat and the, the, uh, the moisture-laden air from the dryer. So if you run that air inside, it'll take longer to dry your clothes, and drying clothes electrically is relatively expensive. So it's not a good idea. And also, no matter how finely you screen the lint, there's still going to be lint in the air in your house. If you screen it too fine, uh, it'll plug up, and so you'll have an additional impediment to drying your clothes. So even with a good dryer, you know, you have that screen filter inside your dryer. That takes most of the lint out of the air. But if on the end of your hose that you run now into the house, you put another screen, that'll add an additional impediment. It'll overheat the dryer, perhaps, and reduce the efficiency of the dryer. So not really a good idea. Good in theory, but not a good idea in practice. If you want to add humidity to your house in Winter Park, of course, a humidifier on the furnace would be the best would be the best idea uh, and and if you uh, if you don't have a furnace maybe you have many of those mountain residences have all electric heat if that's the case with you you can also uh, add individual cold steam humidifiers in the various bedrooms and so on but the dryer really must vent outside for efficient drying. People sometimes vent their dryer into the garage thinking they're saving energy and can heat up the garage. The problem is the lint gets in the cars and who wants extra moisture out there anyway. So you really need to vent that dryer outside, not into a crawl space, not into a bucket of water, not into a garage, but straight outdoors in the shortest run that you can configure uh, whether it's straight up through the roof or out the side of the house, it has to be as short as possible. But that infinite space is the way to get that efficiency of the dryer as high as possible to dry your clothes, okay? Let's see, another email from, uh, let's see, who's this from? Leonard. On your program on Saturday the 5th, you talked about a deck material. All I remember, you said it was pine. Could you please give me the full name? Yeah, I built a, a deck. I had a deck built for me a couple of years ago, and I did... Uh, an analysis and some research on the decking material. Uh, you, of course, you can use composite uh, Trex type decking, plastic composite decking. You can use redwood, which is really pretty, but pretty expensive. But this material was southern yellow pine, pressure treated southern yellow pine. I bought mine at Lowe's. It, there's a warranty on it. I think it's a 20 year warranty. It's relatively inexpensive. It comes in 
Uh, I bought, of course, two by sixes, and I like it. I, as I indicated uh, earlier in the program, about an hour ago or so, I restained my deck yesterday. It's been very stable, and I really like this material. I uh, used some water-based stains, which for me is a, a little bit of a breakthrough for years and years now since the beginning of this program. I've always recommended a linseed oil-based deck stain material, and I still like that product like Super Deck or one of the linseed oil uh, products. But I thought for you and for me, because I wanted a little easier go this time, and I wanted to do a little really empirical uh, study of my deck material covered with a water-based material. So I bought some Olympic water-based stain and applied it yesterday, and it looks pretty good. I'm very pleased with the... It has a good sheen to it. It blended all together. All of the overlap marks from my roller disappeared as it all sort of blended together and cured. So I'll let you know how it goes, but the chemistry of these water-based deck material, deck and fence materials has really improved over the years, and so I wanted to share with you how it went. Cleanup, of course, is much easier than the linseed oil product, which you have to just throw everything away that you use, like the roller and uh, roller cover and the and the roller pan and so on. But uh, this, these, uh, my roller pan and roller cover, I just rinsed out with warm water. I'm going to use them again if I if I really need to. So the first thing I did was spray on with a hand pump sprayer some deck stripping cleaning material. I used the Olympic product, which is a so, uh, sodium hydroxide lye based material has a little bleach component in it also i think sodium hypochlorite anyway smells a little bit like bleach but it's pretty strong stuff and ate away at all the pollution and dirt on my deck and stripped it off just by using the high pressure jet from a hose let it dry for two or three days and put this new material on and i'm really gratified with it so far it's behaving itself and i'll let you know uh, how it goes but that's the deck material i used it's very competitively priced the pressure-treated southern yellow pine. Uh, and now you want to make sure it's up off the ground. You don't want to get it too close to the ground so it can breathe underneath. And, of course, the secret to building any deck is to protect the joists underneath. That's where all the rotting takes place. So we put down a layer of that rubberized ice and water shield over the top of each of the deck joists before we put the decking itself on and screwed right through it. So these joists of mine and... If you do the same thing at your house, will last virtually forever. Otherwise, there's a perpetual, uh, just a perpetual wet spot between the uh, decking material and the joist, and that's where the rotting occurs. So, make sure you use a protection like the ice and water shield, the rubber material between the deck and the decking, and your deck will last a long, long time. But I'll let you know how the water-based material goes. We'll talk about it from week to week here on Around the House. Give us a call. We'll be right back. Need advice for your home project? Back to Around the House with Ken Moon. 20 minutes after 10. Good to have you with us here on the program. We're so glad you're sharing your weekend with us. Mother's Day weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the uh, audience and great-grandmothers included, grandmas. You, you know what, moms, we appreciate you, and we hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow. Make sure they pamper you, right, and uh, take you out to to brunch or something, but we just wish you a happy Mother's Day uh, this weekend. Uh, let's see here. Who's next? Greg? Let's get Greg on the line right now on the air. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Hey, many years ago, I stained a six-foot cedar fence with a product. I believe it's Penifin. Yeah. 
I need to restain that fence. What do I need to strip that old penifin off of there? What's it look like now? Does it look like it's mostly gone and faded and bleached away, or how's it look? About the only thing I've got left is some pigments of color. Yeah, I probably would just stain over what you have if you if you use a colored based stain with a, with a redwood or a cedar name. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, something yeah. that has a little tint to it. I think you can cover right over what you have now. I mean, if you, if you do, you have a power washer at your house, Greg? No. Okay. Well. You know, I was going to say if you did, you could kind of run that power washer over there. But I think it'll be okay the way it is now. Penafin is a good product. Any of the linseed oil-based products, I think, for a fence is a good idea, uh, like Superdeck or Bear or one of those products. And I would encourage you to just get a pump sprayer uh, and just apply it over what you have now. It'll all blend together, I think, pretty pretty readily. So I should stay with a Penafin-type product as opposed to a water-based at this time? I think on a fence, where there's a lot of abuse on a fence year-round from sprinkler systems and so on, I would probably uh, go uh, with the linseed oil-based product, yeah. That's helpful. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I'm glad I could help you. Greg, I appreciate that. Yeah, a little more wear and tear uh, on a fence. So that's what I would do. Let's see here. Uh, Oh, I got a confirmation uh, a few minutes ago that John Creddy will be with us uh, two weeks from today. On the 26th, is that a Memorial Day weekend? I guess it probably is. Huh? Maybe the 28th, 26th, 27th, 28th is a Memorial Day. Uh, anyway, uh, John will be joining us. He comes by the program and uh, talks to us every five or six weeks. And he's a wonderful guest, usually full lines when John's here. He's a gardening with an altitude guy, Rocky Mountain gardening expert, and prolific author and good friend. So John will be with us two weeks from today. You can talk to about all of your spring and summer Issues that are going on, weeds and what's going on with the, my roses aren't blooming and those kinds of questions. My lawn looks odd. <laughs> those are the good questions for this time of year. We'll talk to John. If you want to see how prolific an author he really is, there's a getting his new book is the Getting Started Rocky Mountain Gardening Guide, and you can go to Amazon. Just click on, uh, just type in John Creddy, C-R-E-T-T-I, and you'll see all the books available and uh, that uh, John has authored over the years and. If you're just starting out with Rocky Mountain Gardening, if you're new to the area, that's a great book to, to start with. But anyway, John, two weeks from today on the 10 o'clock hour typically joins us, and we'll have some fun with John and talk about spring and summer gardening issues. Speaking of John, I got an email from, uh, who's this from? From Robert this week. Could you see, please send me the John Creddy soil sterilizer uh, formula. Yeah, I and I did this from memory, and I think I'm right on this. John's listening to the program right now. He can email me if I'm wrong. We take a gallon of vinegar uh, and mix in a cup of salt, table salt, and a, a, a teaspoon or so of Dawn or Joy uh, liquid dishwashing um, uh, soap as kind of a wetting agent. And there's your soil sterilizer to keep uh, things from growing where you don't want them. Now, keep in mind that John has said that this stuff lasts, uh, you know, this sterilizes the soil for up to a year. So you... Uh, don't want to use it uh, any place that uh, you know you might want to plant something uh, in the next year or so. So it does sterilize the soil, but it works pretty well as an all-natural formula. So uh, I would encourage you to give that a, ch- uh, a try. A gallon of vinegar, a cup of salt, and, uh, oh, I don't know, a t- teaspoon or so, half a teaspoon of, of dishwashing liquid as a wetting agent. And uh, John swears by it. And if he does, I do. So 
I appreciate your uh, asking about that. 303-713-8255 is our contact line. Another email. We're getting through these nicely here today. Let me, um, here we go. Uh, Mike wants to know, do I recommend a 1.28 or 1.6 gallon toilet? Uh, Which one do I like? or a dual flush model. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think you'll be able to find a 1.6-gallon toilet unless it's way in the back of somebody's warehouse that they forgot about, a plumbing supply company, because of the water sense regulations in conjunction with the Department of Energy and the EPA. As far as I know, Colorado uh, is pretty strict now. About 1.6-gallon toilets could be used until the supplies were gone. Now it's 1.28-gallon flush uh, toilets. So uh, now, my friends in Wyoming say that's not necessarily the case in Wyoming, that there are 1.6-gallon toilets here and there that they've seen. So I do like the 1.6 uh, myself. Uh, just that little extra bit of water, I think. I have a, a Gerber. Well, I have actually two Gerbers in my house, a 1.6-gallon flush. I really like a lot. They're very reliable. They flush quickly. They don't plug up, uh, and they empty themselves very reliably. But I'm afraid we're stuck with the 1.28-gallon models from now on. If you call a plumber, that's pretty much what you're stuck with. Of course, under the well-known theory that all of us rubes out here in flyover company uh, country are too thick or obtuse to figure out how to save water on our own. So the, the uh, nomenclatura, as it were, the, our betters uh, in far-flung cities tell us uh, you, this is the toilet you must use. Because we say so. So just like your mom used to say, because I say so. So there you go, 1.28-gallon flush. And, and you know what? Um, you'll probably be okay with a 1.28, but, you know, the, I do like the 1.6. Just a little extra flush for a little, you know, you, you're going to have to flush the 1.28-gallon models probably a little, uh, double flush them a little more often than you would with a 1.6-gallon. I do like the Gerber brand. I'm not necessarily, you know, not a, I'm not a client here on the program or an advertiser, but the Gerber engineering of their toilets is such that the, in the tank itself, there's a 3-inch hole in the bottom of the tank where the water leaves, and so it gives a real surge flush to begin with, which starts that siphoning action to suck material out of the toilet. That's what I really like about it. Uh, so you flip that uh, lever, and all that water goes out, you know, just in a big whoosh, which carries everything out of the toilet. So I think it's a good engineering approach to designing a toilet. So the Gerber brand, if you want to look for that, I think you're going to be able to find the 1.28, but not the 1.6s. You can always ask, and there may be, there may be a, uh, you know, here and there you may be able to find one. But uh, I'm getting less and less optimistic uh, about that as supplies are exhausted. Uh, we, uh, the manufacturers just tend to go with the flow on these, no pun intended. Uh, let's see. Uh, West wants to know, Weston, is there a generally acceptable date at which it's safe to turn on the sprinkler system along the front range? I heard Mother's Day the week of and the week after have been different sources. Well, this was in my column this morning, and uh, I... I uh, uh, I said that, you know, mothers, when this show first started, it was 1993, 25 years ago, we started doing the Around the House program. People wanted a guaranteed no-freeze date. 
And in those days, I always said Mother's Day because that gets you into the second weekend of May. Mother's Day can fall from like the 8th to the 14th of May, and that was kind of my guaranteed day. Now, there's no doubt the world has gotten a little warmer. I've been uh, living out here out in the West for uh, around 50 years or so, and uh, so I've noticed that the winters, which were kind of harsh when I first got here in the 70s, uh, we're getting warmer winters, less precipitation, less uh, below freezing temperatures, uh, less harsh cold temperatures in the winter. So winter's gotten a little warmer, and I think perhaps May 1st would be my go-to date now for a guaranteed no-freeze. So that's the recommendation. Of course, we're well into May now, so you can leave your sprinklers on and leave your hoses connected. But during that transition weather, we always get that, is it really spring or is it still winter? Is it really fall or a summer or or as winter come early we get all those transition seasons here uh in the rocky mountains so you want to keep a a close tabs on the expected overnight low temperatures during those transition seasons keep in mind that pipes freeze and burst when it's about 27 fahrenheit uh and so down to uh, if an overnight low 30 or below is expected you want to re-winterize your system but other than that uh, I think it's May 1st is a great target date for a no-freeze uh, uh, prediction uh, of no-freeze for your hoses and your sprinkler system. So I'm sure yours is uh, hooked up now and unwinterized. I hope you've done your aeration and your fertilizing. I fertilized twice already because I like a nice green lawn, and uh, I recommend that you get the aeration fertilizing done like right now and get that sprinkler system going uh, just, you know, initially, three days a week or so to begin with and get that lawn ready to rock and roll for the hot summer months, get those roots nice and deep with some extra fertilizing and care, and the aeration will really help you get through the hot summer. We'll be right back. Things break around the house. That's why there's Around the House with Ken Moon. 25 minutes before 11 o'clock. Nice to have you with us here. Happy Mother's Day from all of us around the house. All of us being Mike Wolf, uh, dear old friend of mine. He's not old, but he's a friend of long standing. How about that, Mike? Anyway, he's getting old. But we both are. We've gotten old together. Anyway, I've known Mike for, I don't know, 25 years plus, and he's uh, holding down the fort, taking your phone calls, producing and engineering today. And if you'd like to call, we'd love to have you involved with the program. 303-45, uh, no, that was Brian's number. 303-713-8255 is our contact line. Don't forget live email at the aroundthehouse.com website. You can click on email me, email Ken, and it'll come right here in the studio. Here's an email from Mitch. I'd like to move my thermostat. The great room where we spend most of the time is always warm, so I figured if we put it in there, it'll keep it more livable. Do I have to fish a wire through the wall? Well, you could buy a wireless thermostat. They're kind of expensive, but you don't need to drill holes or pull wires through the wall cavity. But hang on, you may want to rethink rethink this. Thermostats are located in areas of the house where we feel there's a stable temperature environment, like, like far away from windows and doors and patio doors, out of any possibility of sunshine uh, and away from heating and cooling vents. So yours is probably in a hallway or an inside corner where it can more closely reflect what the average inside temperature of the house is. If you were to move it to the great room, the rest of the house would probably end up colder than you would like. Why? Well, 
you know, Mitch, in a, uh, in a great room, the TV, stereo, fireplace, and your warm bodies sitting there watching TV will fool the thermostat into thinking the house is warmer than it actually is. You may simply need a new thermostat with a more precise response. Use an, you, you can fiddle with this yourself on an experimental basis. Use an accurate thermometer to monitor whether or not the thermostat is letting the furnace run too long before it's satisfied. One other trick is to turn the uh, fan switch on the thermostat from the auto to the on position during the evening. That'll mix up the total air mass, moderating the temperature in all parts of the house. So in the evening with the TV or stereo on, the fireplace running on winter evenings, uh, if you turn that furnace fan on, it'll suck that warmer air out of the great room and distribute it throughout the house. So you might want to not move your thermostat because it's probably in an area that the heating contractor felt was the more most stable temperature uh, environment. Okay. Another email from Andrew. Uh, I tested the radon. My basement's 4.9, but he says, I know 4.0 is the limit. Should I have it mitigated? Uh, no, I would not mitigate it right now. You might want to sometime, but it's too soon. The EPA recommends that uh, with a reading between 4 and 8, and yours is just over the 4.0 at 4.9, that you wait and retest sometime in the next two or three months. The 4.0 uh, level maximum government allowed level is a little arbitrary anyway. Uh, other parts of the world have allowed higher readings before mitigation. Uh, radon levels can vary. A uh, 4.0, I am told, was picked by the government because back in the early 80s, when all this was decided, uh, the uh, that's as low as we could measure radon. That's one of the urban legends going around, I guess. But listen, radon varies seasonably. Seasonally. Uh, and depends on the weather. If the wind speed and direction is such, the barometric pressure uh, is a certain level, uh, humidity, all that, uh, the test can vary. So if you test it again, you might be below the 4.0. You can average the two readings together to get a composite uh, reading. Uh, mitigation, if you need to do it, and I, as I say, I would not do it right now. I would wait and do another test or even two tests. But mitigation is relatively easy. It's not a big price thing. It's relatively inexpensive. Uh, crawl spaces, which are the big contributors of radon gas, uh, you can uh, are quite easy to protect. You can use heavy plastic membrane and perforated pipe connected to a fan to suck air from under the plastic membrane in the crawl space. If you have a full basement with a French drain, they can suck air through the French drain system. And for 1000 to $1,500, you can get the mitigation done. So it's not a huge a huge deal if you need to do it, but I think you're way uh, too soon on this one. I think you need to retest once and maybe twice more. Uh, I might um, I might test uh, as the beginning of summer, say towards the end of June, and maybe test again in September and average the readings together. But anyway, for more tips on radon, there's a Citizen's Guide to Radon by the EPA.gov, EPA.gov website. You can download that. I think it's a PDF uh, format for you on the Citizen's Guide to Radon. Let's go to the phones now. Talk to, to, to Richard um, uh, has a gutter question. Hey, Richard, good morning. How you doing, Ken? Um, good. I, I have, I have uh, gutters on my house, of course, and I'm looking for covers to go over them to keep the um, not only the leaves, but the smaller stuff out, like the shingle grit and the... Uh, Twigs and... Twigs and the small pollen that comes off. I'm getting to the age where I just can't get up on the roof anymore to clean them sure, out. Sure, sure. 
and um, I probably could get up to check the installation of them. And I've sort of looked online at uh, cover cutters like MicroMesh. They have there's the ones with the small with the small hole, smaller holes in them. Yes. And there are different sizes of MicroMesh. And uh, I've looked at brands like uh, was Master Shield and. There's uh, gutter helmet and leaf guard or another. Yeah, gutter glove, leaf guard, and I was just wondering what type of. Uh, gutter cover you would recommend for this? I, I'm not a big fan, Richard, of the screen or mesh systems because uh, it, they tend to, uh, if, particularly if you've got a lot of pine needles around, but you know the stems of maple trees and stuff, they tend to, to uh, get leaves uh, and twigs and, and stems, pine needles hung up in the mesh or uh, systems, but, you know, uh, or the screen systems. Gutter helmet and leaf guard have both been around a long time. You know how they work. There's a, they're a metal shield that allows the water to go in the gutters, uh, for, you know, like a surface tension arrangement, and the leaves and twigs go overboard. The only downside to those gutter systems is on the north face of houses, sometimes they get you can get ice dams because the ice will sort of cling as it drips off the, uh, the shield, if you will, uh, and tends to build up in little layers and make make an ice dam. And if so, you get a, some heat cable to retard that. So uh, I, I, I do like the idea of the shield systems versus but, the mesh systems. But I was also uh, seeing online where these uh, shield systems that uh, wasps and bees build their nests in those things. I, you know, have not heard that. That's an interesting, yeah, I guess they're up there and protected uh, from sunshine and from predators and so on. Sure, I guess so. Um, you know, uh, I, I have five-inch regular aluminum gutters on my house with no shields or covers at all. And twice a year, sometimes three times, but for sure twice a year, my landscape guy gets up there with a gas-powered leaf blower and just blows out the gutters, uh, you know, in the fall, of course, uh, around uh, November kind of idea. And then in the spring, he's going to do it like right. He's, I think he's going to be here in a, just a few days because of all the drops from the seeds coming off the maple and, and uh, trees, cottonwood trees and so on. Uh, they plug up the downspouts and so on. So twice a year, he gets up there and blows it out, charges me 100 bucks each time, uh, and it's over with. So that might be another answer for you. And then the gutters stay wide open to collect all that all that you know, hail and rain from the big storms and so on. So don't overlook that possibility of just getting them blowed out, blown out a couple times a year. What do you think about that? Um, I'm not so I'm not so much up on that because uh, I have a big maple tree that overhangs the house. So do I. And um, boy, you get the you get the buds, and then you get the helicopters, and, and uh -huh. now I'm getting a lot of this pollen that's blowing around, the small stuff that's blowing around. And if you get them blown out, I mean, I've gone up there and blown them out for years and years and years, and I found out that uh, the downspouts, I, I have downspouting that goes down the side of the house, and then it sort of goes underground and discharges into about halfway down the lawn, yeah. the slope of the lawn. And where the curves come uh, uh, they get the house, up. those get yeah. plugged up. And I end up unscrewing them and uh, blasting those out. And that's that's with... That's because those buds get down that downspouting, and they make they they kind of they clump up, don't they? Yeah, they and make a big. They, they clump up in yeah. the curves, right? So, well, in that in that out. case, I I would I would go for one of the shield systems, 
that okay. we talked talked about. I wouldn't go for a mesh system. I, I really would. I think they're the most reliable, time tested, and in most cases, you know, there is overflow on the big storms because it just it's just sheer volume. But generally speaking, for just normal rains, they do a nice they do a nice job. So that would be my recommendation. Thanks for your call, Richard. Good luck. Go by price. You know, they're they're similar. All of them are similar, but go by price for sure. We'll be right back. 303-713-8255. From your faucet to your furnace, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. It's 11 before 11. Good to have you with us here on the Around the House program. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms listening in the audience. Let's get Eva on the line. Is it Eva or Eva? Hello. Can you is, hear me? Is it Eva or Eva? Uh, you could use either. The, the latter sounds more romantic. <laughs> uh, well, I'll go with that then. Let's, you got it, Eva. What can I do for you? Well, um, I would like to have a, a recommendation uh, for a brand name product uh, that you could think of that would not hurt my septic system, but I could uh, use to, a really strong product to clean out my toilet bowl. Yeah, I think you would want to avoid things with bleach in them. Um, okay. Yeah, bleach is really, uh, you know, is really brutal on bacteria. What if, you know, for a septic system, of course, just using a, a one of those little soft scrub pads, you know, the the little 3M green pads, it, it, using rubber gloves is the best way with just using a minimal amount of chemicals. But uh, you could sprinkle in a little Barkeeper's Friend. It has oxalic acid in it, but it's a fairly weak acid. Uh, okay. And just try a minimum amount of that and then okay. rinse really well with water. The thing about, about cleaning toilets, I'm glad you called on this, is you don't want to do them all uh, in the same day any more than you want to do your laundry in the same day. My septic system friends say that right. you want to scatter loads of laundry throughout the week so you right. don't overwhelm the system. And the same would apply here. If you clean a toilet today, uh, Eva, you probably want to wait a day or two to do the next one. Oh, that sounds great. So um, oxalic acid in the Barkeeper's Friend is, is okay. For Barkeeper's Friend that. has oxalic acid in it, which is a, a, a mild acid, but don't use too much of it. As I say, okay. I think the rubber glove, uh, the pla you know, the rubber glove on your hand and just using a, uh, one of those, I'm trying to think of the name, those little green scrubbers by 3M, you know what I'm talking about. I, I think so. The ones I have are sponge on one side and blue on the other, but it's probably the same idea. Yeah, a little uh, scotch pad type thing. Yeah. yeah, so I think more scrubbing with your hand on the rubber glove is better than chemicals, but a little oxalic acid-based barkeeper's okay. friend, I don't think it's going to hurt a thing. But again, uh, flush it with lots of water and then wait okay. a day to do the next toilet. You bet, yeah. Okay, now Comet wouldn't work as well as Barkeeper's Friend? Com Comet has a bleach component to it. I think we want oh, to not do okay. bleach, yeah. I okay. think, I don't know, what do you use in your laundry? Do you have a septic-safe uh, bleach uh, powder or you something know, you use? I Actually, I stay away from using bleach because I knew that that wasn't good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they're so-called septic-safe bleaches. I think they're the powdered bleach. I, you know, I don't know oh, much about okay. them, but... You might check that out, so, yeah. Okay, will do. Hey, thank you so very much. My toilet thanks you. <laughs> oh, all right. Eva, glad you called. Thanks for checking in. Arnold and Greeley, let's get Arnold on the line. we got about a minute or so, sir. How can we help you? Oh, uh, Ken, uh, I heard you talking about uh, gutter guards. Uh, I've had great success with sponge gutter guards. Got them at Menards, and uh, I've had them for a couple of years, and they do a fantastic job. 
Well, I've seen those, and you're the first testimony I've heard about it. And um, I'm, I'm glad. It, it intuitively it didn't look like a good solution to me, but but they're even during the big storms, do they work okay? Yeah, they work great. Well, good. And how often do they need to be replaced? Well, I haven't replaced them yet. Uh, the, I had a bit of a problem because my gutters are not the the large ones; they're smaller, and uh, the the sponge was bigger. But I had I stuffed it in there, and it works great. Well, I appreciate the testimony. Yeah, I, I just always thought that perhaps they would get overwhelmed during the during the larger storms, but. Man, it sounds like they're working for you, and I'm really glad. That's another option for our friend Richard, who wanted to know. And you got yours at Menards, uh, and I'm sure they're available a lot of other places, too. So. Right. Listen, thanks for the feedback. You bet. Bye. I appreciate it, Arnold. Good to hear from you. We'll be right back. 303-713-8255 on Around the House. You're listening to Around the House with Ken Moon. Call 303-713-TALK. That's 303-713-8255. Well, on our flagship station, KHW in Denver, uh, our home port, as it were, Barry and Larry have a real estate show. Uh, and uh, I want you to uh, I say, Barry, are you with us, guys? I think you're oh, yes, yes. on the mic. Good I morning. Can. Hi, good hey, morning. Did you hear me complaining? Because I complained probably too much. But no, no. The, the rule that California passed... Uh, this week, all new homes by 2020 have to have solar panels. And with the same folks complain about the high cost of housing, don't they? Isn't oh, that- yeah, yeah. Like that's going to bring the cost down. Solar's yeah. a good thing, but I'm with you. Uh, okay, sure, let's legislate that too. I have some gold-plated toilets that I'd like to see in all master bedrooms <laughs> and all Lennar homes for the next 20 years. So I bet we could get that passed, Ken, if you and I team up. Yeah, well, you know, I Barry, one of my co- complaints is that the folks that sit on these committees to pass these rules already own their houses. So all we do is end up hurting young f- family formations, you know, young kids yeah, that yeah, need to buy their first. It really is kind of sad, isn't it? It's very sad, and, and it's symbolic of our, of our federal Congress at the national level and the state level. These legislators are not staying in touch with their constituents. I agree. Yes. Well, listen, guys, have a good show. We will. Uh, Thank you. Barry and Larry, the real estate show. It's a fun show to listen to. Very entertaining. We'll see you next time, guys. You got it. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, Let's see. It's just three minutes before the hour now. I've got another email from, uh, this is from Jim. I mentioned a book on the show that uh, that he says, uh, you said to read it before you consider solar panels. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it's a book on the macro issues of fossil fuels. Uh, and uh, how they bettered mankind and saved lives and cured disease and added to our longevity. Uh, fossil fuels have demonized, but uh, they, in the last couple hundred years, have, have just greatly increased the prosperity, the longevity, and the, and the uh, well-being of mankind. And uh, he's a professor named Alec Epstein, or Epstein, I'm not sure. Uh, but I want you to check out this book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels by Alec Epstein. Dave, uh, you've uh, got about a, less than a minute. What can we do for you? Hey, I'll make it quick. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was going to say I used to clean boat hulls and those pads for scrubbing or Scotch-Brite pads. Yeah, Scotch-Brite. There various, you go. Yep, yep. They come in various court, uh, you know, gr- grits. Yeah. Um, I was also going to say on the downspouts and stuff, um, what I've got is a thing that looks like a sheep herder's staff with a curve on the end, and you just attach it to your garden hose and walk along the gutter and blast all the debris to the end. 
And on the downspout where it makes the curve past the brick facade there, um, I used to have everything get caught in that, and I had to take it apart like the one gentleman referred to. And the contractor must have just used the screws in his tool pouch because they were all two-inch long screws that essentially oh, that's where the stuff went down. Stuff gets hung up. Dave, that's good feedback. Thank you for calling. Yeah, I've seen that that wand arrangement on a ranch-style home, particularly. That would be very, very handy to use. Mike Wolf, thanks for your expertise producing and engineering today. We appreciate it. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms, and grandmas, and the audience. We hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow. We'll see you next time. God bless. We'll see you here on Around the House next week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.